Are you hesitating to take the next step in your e-commerce journey? Founder Plus has you covered with proven frameworks tailored to your business needs for fast results, a supportive community of over 30,000 like-minded entrepreneurs and weekly live mentorship sessions. Founder Plus is your key to success. Try Founder Plus today for just $1 for seven days and start building your dream business with confidence. You can visit founder.com forward slash start dollar trial or click the link in the description to claim your trial. This is episode number 139 with Jordan Harbinger of the Founder Podcast. What you need is thirst. You need to be a thirsty human. Who is intent on learning. It's a really fascinating fascinating exploration of human potential. Now. 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 The Founder Podcast. Even the greatest entrepreneurs had help. If you want to learn from the most successful founders on the planet, you are in the right place. Branson, Mark Cuban, Tony Robbins, Tim Ferriss, Ariana Huffington, Steve Case, Gary V, Sophia Amoroso, Barbara Corcoran, Damon John. Learn from the greatest minds in business today with interviews hosted by Nathan Chan. This is not your average entrepreneur podcast. The Founder Podcast. Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Before we start today's episode, I just want to let you know that our goal at Founder is to help entrepreneurs succeed however we can by giving away high quality content in the form of interviews, blog posts, podcasts, YouTube videos, you name it. We put out so much content to help you. And another interesting project that we're working on right now is partnering with world-class founders like Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Greta Van Riel, and so many more to teach crucial skills like negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free trainings with founders like this, which is 100% free, just go to founder.com forward slash free. Okay, so now let's talk about today's episode. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Founder Podcast. My name is Nathan Chan coming to you live from hometown Melbourne, Australia. And uh, I've got a bit of a croaky voice. Apologies for that. Uh, Just come back from the States, had an epic three-week trip, uh, oversee the printing of the book, Uh, For those of you that uh, back the Founder Version 1.0 campaign, the book is coming to you very soon. It is looking amazing. Really pumped about that. Uh, Spoke at a conference, interviewed Tony Robbins. That interview is coming out very, very soon. And met up with a ton of super successful founders and entrepreneurs and just learnt a lot. So that was me. I try and go to the States a couple of times a year just to learn and, and network and you know keep relationships strong with, with people that I can learn from and that can also help grow the founder brand. So that's me in a nutshell. Um, so still adjusting to the jet lag, but enough about me. Let's talk about today's guest, the one and only Jordan Harbinger. Jordan's an absolutely amazing guy. I met him at a conference that I spoke at last year. And ever since then, um, you know, I've been honored enough to call him a friend. And he's a super smart founder, uh, master of networking, and knows anybody that is an influencer or a mover and shaker in his niche or marketplace. He's been doing podcasting for a very, very long time. He has one of the top business podcasts, easily in the top 50 podcasts all on all of podcasts. 
Uh, I think in the tens of millions, maybe even hundreds of millions of downloads, uh, he's he's a master. So, you know, me and Jordan talk everything around networking, relationships, how not to be that person. You know, that person that's always wanted to take from you, the person that you don't want to be friends with, or that's a you know person that just doesn't add any value. Um, so we go through a whole ton of stuff and networking is so extremely key guys. You're going to learn a lot from our conversation. If there was one thing that I can tell you from, I've found from experience since growing founder these past three and a half years is that pretty much, you know, it's all about learning from the smartest people out there doing the things that you want to do. So jumping on clarity, speaking to people, networking, connecting with other people. That's what I do all day as much as I can and uh, that's what really helps grow the brand so you know I I hope that helps also guys I just wanted to let you know that we are working on an amazing product that if you haven't launched a business yet or you currently run an e-commerce based business you sell physical products online we've teamed up with someone that has built four multi-million dollar companies and we're going to help solve this problem If you want to start a business, don't know where to start, the idea of selling a physical product sounds exciting to you, please do go sign up at foundermag.com forward slash e-commerce where you can join the VIP list and make sure you get on the early bird beta test group. I'm really, really excited about this product. I know you guys are going to love it. Anyways, that's it from me, guys. Now let's jump into the show. The first question I ask everyone that comes on is, how did you get your job? My job that I have, I made it for myself. Awesome. Can you tell us about that? Sure. I mean, this, uh, yeah, I probably should on your podcast here. Sure. So the, the job that I have now, which is actually a job, right? I work in my business as well as on my business. I was an attorney for a while. Even before that, I was in law school and I went to work on Wall Street and the guy who hired me for this internship, his name was Dave. And everybody said, man, Dave's the man. You're so lucky you work with Dave. And I never saw him, even though he was supposed to be my mentor, which was a bummer because when you think mentor and you think Wall Street, you're thinking like Leonardo DiCaprio having oyster shooters with Matthew McConaughey on the roof and just laughing about how much money you're making and the world is your your oyster, you know, no pun intended, and you're just loving it. And it wasn't like that at all. It was kind of like, where is this guy? Everyone else is going out for beers, going to see Blue Man Group. My mentor doesn't even come to work. And HR basically made him take me out for coffee one day and was like, he goes, what do you want to ask me? He just thought, you know, why not? This kid probably just has some questions about real estate finance or something. And I said, how come you make a ton of money and you're a partner, but you're never in the office? You know, do you just work from home a lot? And because we're supposed to bill in six minute increments. And he said, no, you know, I bring in a ton of business. I, I'm more valuable outside the office than inside the office, because if he can go get a million dollar deal and he can do that once a quarter, what are the odds he's going to bill a million dollars worth of hours every quarter? Pretty low, right? So he's more valuable on the golf course doing jujitsu on a cruise at a charity dinner event, whatever, sailing, whatever. He's more valuable there than he is inside the office. And that changed the way that I look at work. So when we started the art of charm, which was originally 
networking, relationship development, dating, and all that stuff, those people skills that David showed me were so important. I viewed that as this is the secret third path to becoming a top partner at a law firm because I wasn't going to be able to necessarily outwork everyone. I wasn't necessarily going to be able to make myself smarter than all these other Wall Streeters, but I can start working on these people skills before other people even realize they're important. And Dave was such a crucial influence when it came to that, because when the firm eventually did hit economic hard times in 2008, along with everything else, he walked into another firm as a partner. And a lot of the other partners at my original firm just got retired early because they had put in the hours and they worked up in that particular firm, but they didn't have a book of business. So not only did Dave make more, he worked a lot less in the traditional sense of the word, and he had more job security. So that for me was like, okay, I've got to be able to write my own ticket. And so when we started the show, we had that in mind. And then, of course, the show became something that is now my job. So that's how I got it. I created it for myself in the process of learning other skills that I thought would actually give me a huge advantage in another industry and another job that I had. Hmm. Interesting. So you've been running a podcast. Is it close? Is it over 10 years now? Yeah. Next week, it'll be 10 years. Yeah. I thought it was close. So 2006. So when did you meet Dave? I met Dave in 2000 and man, was it 2005 or 2006? It was right before then. Oh, geez. Okay. So the moment that you met him, um, it opened a lot of, I guess, doors for you in, in the sense of, of what's possible with relationships and connecting with people and, um, just getting really, really good in, uh, with your social intelligence and, and, and social skills. Yeah, it did. And it was interesting for me because he didn't mean to do that. He meant to just kind of check off this tick mark box on his list of crap that he had to do, show up to the office, go take his dumb mentee out for coffee that he never sees the end. And he wasn't like a callous, careless person or anything. He was really cool. Everyone liked him. But I could tell he was he just viewed being in the office as essentially a complete waste of time. And he he definitely viewed answering my questions and spending time with me a complete waste of time because it didn't further his goal of bringing in new business. And had he been sort of less short-sighted, he probably could have trained me to be a massive rainmaker for the firm under his particular guidance. However, I would have hated it because I like what I'm doing now. So he really did open the door because I didn't see what I call the secret third path. I saw outwork everyone, be smarter than everyone, be more talented than everyone or something like that. When it came to working at this law firm, I didn't see what actually was the highest lever, which was networking relationships, business generation. So not only did I see a secret third path, but that third path is actually more powerful than all of the other ones. Yeah. Wow. Interesting. So you met Dave, what happened next? So what happened next was essentially I started work. I, I said, look, I'm going to dedicate my entire life here not to figuring out how to check better for commas and documents, not to figuring out how to get by on less sleep, but I'm going to work on these people skills. So when everybody else was in the office busting their butt on stuff, I would do that. And then I would go, all right, I'm going to go out for a few hours and be social. And as the months and years went by in the legal arena, I was only there for a short time, but 
I realized, wow, other people's social skills are going way downhill. I'm basically doing the same amount of work as them, but instead of reading legal books in my spare time, which did nothing to further their career, really, they just gave them some fodder to talk about it at happy hour. I was out making friends and connections and da, da, da. And it wasn't necessarily legal connections. You know, I would go out with a bunch of other guys during a happy hour and they'd go, man, you know, you never pay for drinks around here. That's so cool. And I'd be like, yeah, I know everybody. And I'd introduce them to everybody. And that became my reputation. I realized not only is this a skill that most people don't have, it's not actually that hard to develop if you work really hard at it and you, you're diligent about it. And I started to do that every single day. I went out with my business partner, AJ, every single night for like years. I mean, six nights a week we were out for years. And it was really rewarding, of course, because going out is fun, but also because we were doing deliberate practice. We were working on certain skills the whole time. It wasn't just like this random, let's go out and get drunk every night. And so we learned deliberate practice. We learned to find the secret third path. We learned to master these particular skills. And the further along we went, we noticed that, I mean, you probably know a lot of people who are married and they have a kid and they're like, oh man, we never go out anymore. Or they don't make new friends anymore. And you probably know people who are divorced who have like no life. They spend all their time with their partner and they get divorced and suddenly they're like, what am I going to do now? And you see this with your friends who break up after a long relationship and they call you and you're like, Tim, I haven't heard from you in like four years. <laughs> yeah, me and Sarah you know, we broke up and you're like, oh, that's what's going on, right? And then they suddenly want to go out and hit the town and you're like, look, I got a life. So we started to work on these skills here at AOC and really focus on it because it was a massive competitive advantage that most people could never catch us. You know, especially the people that were just focused on competing in the same arena that everybody else was. I'm not saying building skills at work isn't important, but if you're a graphic designer or an attorney and you're working on getting better at those particular skills and only those particular skills, you're only as good as how well you stack up to the guy next to you. Are you really the best one of those? Probably not. So you have to stack competencies together. You have to be a top 25% graphic designer and a top 25% networker and a top 25% organizer and a top 25% leader. Now you've got a top 5% performer, right? Whereas are you really going to be a top 5% graphic designer? You might be, but it might take you like 10 years. Are you going to be a top 10% leader? Maybe, but it might take you a decade, you know, right? So if you stack them together, you could get there in three to four years because you're only trying to get to the top quarter. Is it quartile maybe of all of those things, which is much easier because it's an exponent, the graph. It goes up and it slopes steeper as you reach towards uh, towards the, the right-hand side. So getting to the top half, of a class, for example, not hard. You basically have to show up getting to the top 10% of a class really tough. Cause you got to outstudy and outwork all the smart kids. Does that make sense? hundred mm, percent. Okay. So met Dave realized the importance of networking relationships, social skills, um, started going out with your business partner and, and just meeting people and working on this stuff. So did this come naturally to you or, or you spent a lot of time yourself um, skilling up on your own social skills? Uh, no, it wasn't natural to me at all. I mean, I was shy. I grew up an only child. I like computers, still do. And so I was the kid who watched TV all day as a kid because my parents weren't home and I didn't live near a lot of other kids. And then I was also kind of, 
like into the internet at age 13 and which wasn't good for social skills and then i got a bunch of video games so i was kind of like a complete outcast and then of course that didn't make me cool because nobody had a computer at that age so either like the nerds liked me but the other kids didn't and i didn't really pursue athletics that much until high school and so i grew up kind of this like weird shy kid who was kind of a couch potato. And so high school, I kind of came out of that shell. And then college, I kind of got beat back into that shell and just tried to outwork everyone again. And then law school, I finally discovered what I didn't know, which was, wait, these are worthwhile pursuits, these social skills. And there's a system to this stuff. And that opened up all kinds of doors. So no, it did not come naturally at all. In fact, if I take a Myers-Briggs right now, I'm still technically an introvert. Hmm. Okay, interesting. Um. So why did you decide to start a podcast? Like, um, like, like how did how did you decide to to turn this into a business? Right. So what happened was, after Dave and I had our conversation about this, we started talking about these concepts, and I started telling AJ, like, look, there's this networking stuff, and he was like, oh, cool. How about all this body language and eye contact? And we started studying the psychology of it, and we read all the books, and we started meeting up with as many authors, and you know coaches slash gurus, whatever you want to call it in this niche as we could. And we started to apply things, break things. We started to work on our dating skills because that stuff was cool. I mean, you're 24 at the time, 25, whatever. And so you're thinking like, this stuff's really interesting. 26, 27 years old, you're focused on a lot of that stuff. And we started to talk about it and we would be people watching in a bar and women would overhear our conversation and they would come sit with us and we'd be talking with them. And then of course, we're the two guys sitting with eight gals who are having a girl's night, but we're kind of in the mix. And we would do that over and over and over again. And eventually the staff and the other regulars at the bar would say things like, okay, what's going on here? You guys are here every time I'm here. You're always with a gaggle of ladies that you seem to know everybody. You never wait in line. You don't pay cover charges. You don't buy drinks or anything. Everything's just coming to you. What do your parents own the real estate that this place is in? And we just thought, no, it goes like this. Here's this body language lesson. And that, and we'd be sort of teaching these guys informally and the women would be sitting there doing the same thing or listening along. And we had guys go, look, I'll give you 400 bucks if I can spend the afternoon with you guys tomorrow. Just tell me everything that you know, because wow. I get divorced or because I want to learn this or because I'm a shy kid too or whatever. And so we, we thought like, oh, you know, we, we should record this stuff because we end up having the same conversation four nights a week, five nights a week, maybe even six. And so we started burning CDs and I would carry them around. I'd be like, listen to this. Cause people kept saying, write a book. You should write a book. And I thought I'm studying for the New York bar exam, the attorney entrance sort of qualification exam. I'm not going to write a book. Give me a break. AJ was a cancer biologist. He's like, I'm certainly not writing a book. I'm cloning mice over here. So we were not in this position to do that. We were recording our conversations, burning them on CDs. And then eventually, and that became cumbersome and stupid actually. And there were, at that point in time, there was no way to put up an MP3 sound file on the internet and have other people download it. It was really hard to do. And then AJ found this thing called podcasting, which was brand new at the time. And the, remember the iPhone isn't even out yet at this point, right? It's a year away, maybe more. And we're doing a show and we're recording it and putting it up on iTunes. And that was the only way to get it. And it was really nice to be able to say, go to this crappy WordPress or whatever it was at the time, Blogspot, I think, website. You'll find a link and it'll be hosted on this GoDaddy server and you can get the sound file. And we'll t we were talking about body language and eye contact and vocal tonality, how you sit, stand, walk, talk, all that stuff. 
And it was awesome. It got super popular. I remember checking one day we had 24 downloads and we thought this is great because that was just the day that we had started handing out business cards at, at the bar with people that were asking us. And then I remember a few days or a few weeks later, we had like 800 downloads in a day. And I thought, wait a second, we didn't talk to 800 people last week. What's happening? And we realized people are spreading this to their friends. People are finding this in iTunes. So we, we had this crazy sort of wave uh, of viral appeal early on. But the viral appeal back then was like 24,000 downloads a month. It was nothing like you see now. Mm, interesting. And like you've turned this this idea into a really, really successful business, um, which I find really fascinating. So can we talk also just around the podcasting stuff as well? Because I know a lot of people want to start a podcast or or they want to use it as a channel to grow their existing business. Um, and, so, and it is quite a strong content play, but it seems to be a very, very noisy world. So let's first, I guess, talk about the whole podcasting piece, just so our audience can can wrap, um, if, they, if they're not familiar with your work, just so our audience can wrap their head around, you know, the impact that you have made uh, in the past 10 years. Do you know roughly how many people have heard your voice? Mm, 60 to 80 million. Wow. <laughs> that's insane. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's hard to say because that's unique visits, right? So mm. that, that actually wasn't the correct answer to that question because that's not how many people have heard my voice. That's how many unique downloads of the show we have probably had over the last 10 years. So it's kind of hard to say. I mean, that could easily just be, and I put that in air quotes, that could just be a few million people. Gotcha. Now, does that make sense? Yeah. Right, like it's everybody visiting your website once and then never coming back. Yeah, people gotcha. come back. Hopefully, a lot. Yeah, no, I'm sure it's a lot more than that because um, you have one of the top shows on iTunes. So, talk to me around. You started this podcast, um, was getting some traction because I I heard you know ten years ago podcasts were a thing, then they kind of died off, and now they've come back in a big way. In the coming back in a big way, I've been lucky enough to 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 kind of jump in on that train with Founder and and really utilize it, and uh, we get some good traction on our podcast. Um, so I'm I'm really curious, you know, what did that look like for you? You you started, um, it was getting some good traction, and then is this correct? It, it kind of died off. People stopped listening to podcasts, or what happened? Yeah, that's an interesting point because actually one of the things that I thought that I find most interesting when people ask me this is they all pretty much have the exact same question. Like, isn't this just something that isn't popular anymore or, or whatever? And the truth is, is that podcasting has been growing steadily since 2006 or whenever it actually started. It never had a year of negative growth as far as I know. And I could be wrong on that because I'm taking these stats from people basically at their word. But Libsyn, one of the bigger hosts, has said the same thing. There's never a, a year where it's gotten less popular. It's only gotten more popular. The only difference is nobody in the media gave a crap about it for like this five-year stretch. Mm. right? It was like 2006, 2007, downloadable radio shows, OMG, right? And then nothing. And then you find the medium basically not getting any love 
and I didn't care. I mean, I was just doing my thing over here. And then suddenly people were like, oh, podcasting is back. And everybody who has data is like, yeah, no, it's not back. You just didn't listen to it before. And since you're a self-centered journalist who writes for some random blog, you decided that since you didn't know about it and you're so in the know that nobody else did either. Not true. There are, And I'm not telling you that you're a, a random journalist. I'm saying that the media covering this, just to be clear, I'm not, I'm not telling you that you don't know what you're talking about. But these journalists weren't covering it because they didn't give a crap. And then a bunch of other shows came out, you know, on NPR, and then people started paying attention. There was like Freakonomics in there, and all of these NPR shows got ported over there, and people went, oh, cool, and had this underground hipster thing happening. And then you've got Serial, and now you see a bunch of people jumping into the mix. And people go, podcasting is back. And it's like, no, it's just trendy to cover it now. But it is never gone. It, it was never, ever gone. And it won't be gone in a few years when people stop writing about it again. It'll still be there, right? It's just that the, those lulls in coverage probably won't be as long because the reason I think people stopped covering it is they went, oh, nobody cares about this. And then Spotify came out and people were like, oh, I want to stream audio from my devices. Oh, there's other things on there that have been there for 10 years. Let's start writing about these, right? So it's just because of the smartphone, the fact that now everyone has a smartphone. 2006, there was no such thing unless you had a Nokia or something like that, right, from mm -hmm. Europe. And the iPhone came out in 2007, but it didn't have apps. It didn't stream data very well. Most people had like, you know, 500 megabytes of data per month or whatever the original data plans were. Now, though, everyone's streaming stuff. Podcasts is an app that's built into the phone. Android still hasn't come around to it. Google Play just got podcasts this year. Most people don't even know that. So there's still so much room for growth. And you're going to mark my words in three, four years, there's going to be a bunch of sort of late to the party folks writing about this in mainstream news like, hey, there's these downloadable radio shows on your phone and we have one for the New York Times now or whatever. And people are going to go, have you heard of podcasts? And you're going to have to go, yeah, for like the last four years. And it's still something like 13% of Americans have listened to a podcast in the last month. And I know that America is not the center of the world, but I think we do adopt tech a little quicker than a lot of countries do. Mm. And so if I'm, I'm living in Silicon Valley, most of the people that I talk to know what podcasts are, but I still talk to plenty of people who go, no, what's that? And I'm like, are they joking or not? And they're not a lot of the time. And five years ago, I'd say, do you know what a podcast is? When people ask me what I do and 60%, 70%, no, what is that? So we still have a several more years to go before everybody knows what that is. You know, YouTube took a while to get taken up as well. But now you could tell your grandma how to oh, look it up on YouTube and she'll be like, I think I can do that. Right. But tell your grandma how to look up a podcast. Forget about it. We still haven't solved those challenges yet. Mm. So what kept you going, man? It was a hobby and not a business. And that was bad for a few reasons because we didn't grow nearly as well as we could. For example, we weren't even collecting emails. We didn't have a newsletter, nothing for eight plus years because we were just like, eh, screw it. We're just doing a show. We're getting business. It's all good. And that was also the advantage because now most people quit after I think six episodes is the statistic wow. of their show because they go, Oh yeah, I know that most people don't make money podcasting, but I'm so interesting. I'm going to do a show and it's going to be different or I'm going to market it hard or I have a unique strategy. And the truth is, no, you don't. Right. So you're just going to end up quitting before you hit the tipping point. Cause the tipping point could be in six years. Nobody wants to spend the amount of time these days to build a good skill set of interviewing, to be able to present well, 
They don't want to hire a production staff to do it right. There's a lot of things people don't really want to do. And that's why you see successful podcasts now are run by people who have tons of media experience. They've already got another career that they're basing this on. So they've got three best-selling books and now they're doing a podcast about stuff like that. Or they're a journalist and now they're doing a podcast or they're a comedian and they're doing a podcast. Very few people who want to become quote unquote thought leaders start shows and make it. It's almost nobody. And the ones that do generally, if you examine them closely enough, it's like, oh, well, they're also an internet marketer, right? So they do the podcast for credibility on top of that. Very rarely do you see people go, I'm going to start a podcast and that's going to be my new thing. And they make it. I, I just don't even know anybody. So why should people start a podcast for any founders out there? Should they consider it? Should they not? I don't think people should. I know I, I'm considered sort of a weird naysayer in this case, but I don't think most people need podcasts. It, it's something that you can't outsource. Like if I decide I don't want to podcast anymore, I can't hire someone to do my show for me. It's very, very hard. It'd be impossible. It wouldn't be the same. It takes a lot of work to do it right. For example, a lot of people just go, all right, we're going to do 20 minute shows and I'm going to ask people the exact same questions. No, no, no. At Art of, on the Art of Charm, I read the book of the person that's coming on. I watch their TED Talk. I watch other talks that they have at Google or whatever. I read articles that they've written. I ask their friends about them. I read Wikipedia. And I put that all into a Google Doc. And then a few days later, I read all of those notes that I took from their whole book, which probably took me three days to read. And I put those into a specific format. I ask other questions. I run it by a focus group of people that listen to the show that have signed up for that task. Wow. They add their notes. And then I conduct the interview. And that's why it's, and I mean, sorry to sound a, a little bit like I'm patting myself on the back here, which I know is a faux pas, especially in Australia. But I think the interviews are better because of that, because of that amount of prep work. But you can totally tell when somebody's like, I'm just going to have them fill out this form and then I'm going to start a show. You can tell. You think you're getting away with it when you're doing that as a host. And I did that for like six years. But people can tell. There is a night and day difference between the shows that I'm adequately prepared for and the ones that I am not. And so a lot of people think they're like, oh, podcast is part of my content marketing strategy. No, this is something you have to do even if no one's going to listen to it. And that is what most people are not willing to do, which is why they quit before episode 10. And last but not least, discovery, discoverability with shows in iTunes is freaking terrible. YouTube says, oh, you might like this. You might like that. It's easy to share. There's share buttons. Podcasting has none of that. People have to already know how to listen to shows. They have to have certain apps installed on their devices to do it. They've got to go in, click subscribe. They've got to set aside time to listen. This is not a two-minute plays in any web browser type of thing. It's just not. And so I think it's a terrible idea for most people to start podcasting unless they are really into talking uh, to specific people having in-depth long format conversations because otherwise you're just going to try to hack the process and it's not going to work. Yeah. Interesting. Um, got a challenge for you then. Um, probably this time next year, I probably won't be doing the podcast anymore. Me personally, I want to get someone else to do it. <laughs> I think that's fine. I think that's fine. And, and here's why what you're asking is, you, in, in what you're doing with your show is not based on your personality, mm. right? Like your personality and you know, I love you. So it doesn't matter what I say here, hopefully, <laughs> but your personality is not an integral part of the show. It really isn't right. Like you're asking really good questions. You could formulate the questions or find somebody else to do that. The art of charm is based around this sort of weird dance that I do with my guests. Right. And I'm building a lot of rapport with them. And I've got a certain way of communicating to my audience that I've built over the last 10 years. You don't have to uproot all of that and try to go, 
oh, yeah, Jamie's going to be the host now. Bye. Right. You can find somebody who's a really good performer mm-hmm. and a really good interviewer, like a journalism student, and they can come in and collaborate with you and then they can host the show. That's what I would do. It's too late for me to do that. And the reason that I think other people shouldn't do that is if they're building their business as a podcast, why start off not being able to do the core competency of your business? This podcast for founder is not the core of your business. It's a piece of the business. So you're doing it like content marketing, but you have to hire a superstar to do it. So it'll be challenging, but it's not because it's based off of your own brand. The reason I think most people shouldn't do it is they want to be a thought leader. They're not trying to start a company that has a podcast element. They're trying to make it like their show where they get recognized for it. And a lot of it's just ego, Mm. right? Like have people who write in their Twitter profile, like father, husband, thought leader. And those people, whenever they pitch me, I just delete their email. Cause I'm like that. All you said is nothing. And also I have a brand that's based on me because I need to have a job other than father and husband. Right. And, and I just find that stuff so ridiculous. And so there's tons of shows that are named after the person or it's called like the grind show or whatever. And it's all the same questions. They're just asking about my favorite SAS tool. And so you have good questions that are more important and it's also not based on your personality. And so there's, there's kind of two show archetypes, which you've avoided, which is one, the, the thought leader show where it's all about them and their brand. And then you've got this other sort of bottle or silo, which is you're just creating content that anybody can do that makes you a commodity where you're like, what's your favorite book? What's your favorite hairstyle or whatever it is. Those, those shows and those hosts are commodities. You found a sort of happy medium where you're able to create content for your brand. That's actually useful and unique enough to be interesting. Otherwise nobody would listen. Oh, well, thank you, man. Well, look, um, I'm sure people really want to know this stuff around networking and relationships. So talk to me, like, how can you utilize networking to grow your business? Yeah, this is a funny sort of question because going back to when Dave hired me, I'd never even thought about creating relationships. I thought relationships happened at a certain point in your career or business. And that turns out to be totally not true for most people. What we have found, especially running our programs and and training at the Art of Charm, is that people go, people often find us because they go, yeah, I've been working for 15 years in software engineering. And I realize I'm never going to get promoted beyond this engineering stuff into a management level because I don't have the skills for that. Even though they might be the bomb coder at Amazon, right? They're just not good at the people stuff. And it's, it's a ceiling that they didn't necessarily see. And so it's not only integral to building your business and moving up in any business, it's pretty much the most important thing because people do business with people that they know, like, and trust. Mm-hmm. And they mostly do business with people that they trust, not just people that they like, but they will always prefer somebody that they like if they trust more than one party. And so you have to check all those boxes off and you also have to dig the well before you're thirsty and have the relationships in place before you need them. So if you want a job, you can't just reach out to a bunch of random people and say, here's my resume. It doesn't work that way. You have a much better chance of getting a job through your network. In fact, statistics show that 80 percent, well, more than 80 percent of jobs and careers are found through a network, not through uploading your stupid resume to monster.com or whatever website you've got uh, down under for that type of thing. It's about finding people in your network and and just look at who you would be willing to help. Are you more willing to help somebody you've known for a few months, few years, people who've helped you with other things, friends of yours, or somebody who cold emails you their resume and is like, I need a job. Mm. Here's how qualified I am. I mean, it's, it's a no brainer. And yet 
when we look at the frequency with which people try to do that, it's alarming, which shows me that people don't see this until it's too late. And whenever I give keynote talks and things like that to groups, I always ask how many people, especially to entrepreneurs, I always ask how many people think, all right, I know networking is important, but I basically, I'm going to start as soon as I launch my website or as soon as my prototype is done. And tons of hands go up. And the reason is because not only do we not realize that we need those relationships in place before they become important, we need to dig that well before we're thirsty, but we're also using it as an excuse, right? Like, well, my website's not done. What's the purpose of me going to this mixer event? I don't have anywhere to show people. I don't have anything to show people. I don't have a prototype. I don't have anywhere to send them. My domain's not up yet. It doesn't matter. This is about creating friendships and creating relationships with people. And you don't even know if they're ever going to help you with anything. So when we teach networking at AOC at Art of Charm, it's all about helping other people get what they want and not keeping score. So I would just help other people that I didn't even know if I was ever going to get anything in return ever. And it didn't matter. It was all about helping them. And often the help was simply at one point, there's a tipping point in everyone's network, this inflection point where what you're doing to help people is no longer, you're no longer creating websites for people or doing the graphic design or whatever. Your primary vector is just introducing other people in your network to one another. And that's awesome because that's scalable, right? If I want to help 10 people a day, and I'm not saying that's a goal or anything, that's, that's a lot. But if I wanted to help 10 people a day, is it easier for me to make 10 email introductions or is it easier for me to create 10 websites if I'm a web designer, right? I mean, one of those is going to be significantly easier than the other and cost me a lot less in terms of time, effort, et cetera. And yet the reciprocity that you find is almost just as good having made an introduction versus having done something for somebody designing their business card, for example, right? So you want to get it to the point where it's scalable. And the only way to do that is by having a large and diverse network. It's very hard to to make it such that your your primary value is introducing people to one another when you only know 10 people because the fit won't be there. But when you know a thousand people or a hundred people, you can then plug people in really, really easily because it starts to happen kind of automatically. Does that is that all make sense? Yeah, hundred percent. So do you use a tool like contactually? Yeah, I use tools like contactually sometimes. I also have a couple of little hacks and tricks that are, are kind of strange, kind of interesting. I keep up with people a lot, of course, on Facebook and, and things like that. My show is a great platform for this. I also try to help people wherever I can uh, at conferences and events and stuff like that. And I throw little side gigs. So for example, if we go to a conference, I might plan a dinner or something like that, like an unconference with a few people. And I tell them to bring friends of theirs, one person that maybe I don't know yet or don't know well yet. And so I'll create relationships that way. But I also just look at my Facebook newsfeed. And if somebody posts something that's interesting, instead of clicking like or writing a comment, I might text them or send them an email, right? Like I, I got a buddy who got married and he had like 1600 likes on his wedding photo and I sent him a text and he mm. replied in two seconds. There's no way he replied to a thousand comments on Facebook. Yeah. So, you know, and, and so it's unidirectional. So I just use my Facebook newsfeed to basically curate, hey, here's what your friends are doing. I might click like to teach the algorithm that that's what I want to see, but I'll send a text or an email after that. So I don't necessarily rely super heavily on CRMs like contactually. I do use those things, but it's not my primary mode of keeping up with people. The other thing is 
since I'm actively connecting people to other people in my network, I sort of naturally keep up with people who have high value skill sets. So if you were like, Jordan, man, I need some show art. I need a graphic designer. It's a great excuse for me to reach out to graphic designers in my network and say, hey, a friend of mine runs a great business, needs some new show art for iTunes, was wondering if you could help. By the way, how the hell are you? I haven't talked to you in ages. Right. Mm. So I sort of double dip on the utility there. And I don't need a tool that says, you haven't talked to Nathan Chan in six months. Send a really <laughs> contrived letter asking how he's doing that you will never read so that you're still in touch technically. Right. I just don't do that. I just don't ever do that. Yeah, no, that's fair enough. It it is kind of cool though, right? <laughs> it is cool to do that. And I totally I recommend doing that over not doing anything. Yeah. That's damn sure. And you and I talked about this during the episode that we have on the Art of Charm mm. with the networking tools is using those things and definitely using them. It, it's, it takes a lot of habits that you've got to form to remember to constantly be in touch with people and introduce people. And you have to dedicate time to it. Now for me, it's second nature. But I will say that if you're one of those people who makes friends and then never talks to them again, yeah, go ahead and get contactually or go ahead and, and throw them in, you know, close IO or Salesforce, <laughs> whatever you've got access to, because it's certainly better than never reaching out. And if you're really, really new to this, don't sign up for anything. Just go look at your Facebook newsfeed see what your friends are up to hide the people or unfriend them the, the ones you just never care about and you never want to see again and start texting people who have real life events happening hmm. yeah actually talking about networking before like you know before you were um you know the host of out of charm and, and you'd go out to events if someone's going to a business event what what are like your your top three top three tips to to get to know someone or, or make the most of the event Sure. So one thing that I, I think is an awesome idea is figure out who else is going that you want to meet and try to get a warm introduction through somebody else who might be going to that same event. So if I know that you're going to the same event that I'm going to, I might say, hey, can you introduce me to such and such? Do you know that guy? And you might be like, yeah, because we both live in whatever, Melbourne or something like that, right? Or Sydney or whatever city you're in. You might know that person or you may have gone to that event the last three years and know some other people there. So I might ask you for an introduction via email beforehand and then I can go, great, let's meet up for a beer during the conference. Um, another thing that I like to do instead of just let's meet up for a beer vaguely, nebulously during this conference is I like to set up side events. There was a better term for this. I'm just drawing a blank on it. But basically I do uh, John Corcoran, a good friend of mine who I think you probably also know, he's really good at this. He'll do something like, Hey, I'm setting up a dinner the night before everything kicks off right before the VIP party. And we're going to do it at this sushi restaurant. It's walking distance from the hotel. Let's meet in the lobby at six, bring one person. You can either bring Jen, who's my fiance, or you can bring another dude that you know is going and you know we'll all just let me know and there's going to be 14 of us and capping it at that and we'll all go and we'll meet up in a private room or something like that and we'll all have dinner and there's kind of like these icebreakers like tell us the time you got arrested and if nobody has that they've got a story that about the time they got in trouble the worst or something and you meet people through this and it's really interesting because you find out all these like straight edge people have gotten like busted for public nudity or something, you know? And you're like, what? <laughs> I was in college, obviously, but you're like, like, this is an amazing way to get to know some of these crazy corporate people or entrepreneurs. And so you set that up and it sets you up as a connector and you're the hub of that. So everybody at that event, of course, knows who you are because you're sort of facilitating it. And then you can lean on those people for introductions all the time at the event. So I set up things like that. And over dinner though, 
instead of dinner, I should say, I prefer other activities. So I love these escape rooms, these escape game things. Oh, so that's so cool. Like, yeah, I, I love those. Me and Jenny, my fiance, we love those. And we'll set up something like that. And oftentimes it's like, oh, we need a group of eight or 10. And there's only two of us. So we'll pick six, eight more people. And we'll say, hey, are you up for this little adventure? And we'll carpool out there. And it's a great way to get to know people because it's kind of frustrating. And you've got to think and you've got to work together. So it's this weird team building exercise that we're doing with total strangers. And then you maybe go to dinner afterwards. And everyone's, you've got something to talk about. It's really fun. You're joking around. It's a good time. And that's really interesting. And then you go into this conference knowing a bunch of people that you didn't know before. Instead of going to a conference and then waiting till someone's done with their talk, walking up and waiting in line with 30 other people who want to say hi to them, and then being like, hi, my name's Jordan. You won't remember me in five minutes, but I just want to say I love your work. Bye. And then emailing them and getting crickets in response because they met 100 people and they don't know who you are anymore. Right. So that's better. It's all about depth of relationships over you know, quality over quantity. And the way to do that is to do something, facilitate something like that to get people to remember the interaction that they had with you. And it doesn't have to be fancy. It doesn't have to be expensive. It just requires a little bit of legwork beforehand. Yeah, no, that's a great one. That's really smart. Um, interesting. So uh, we have to work towards wrapping up, but you've built a, a quite a quite an astounding business just off off the back of your show as, as what you're leading leading with um it's you know a multi-million dollar company correct correct yeah so i guess just finishing off you know from running a, you know a business what are what are what are your you know top 3 takeaways i guess um and then yeah if you could finish with that and then also the best place people can find you that'd be awesome man Sure. I would say, look, don't get overwhelmed by, oh, no, I got to go out and learn social skills and meet people and do all this stuff. Pick a couple of events that you're going to reach out to people that, you know, might be going. If you don't know anybody that's going, find out who the speakers are, get contact info from them using like email hunter, the other tools that you've recommended in other episodes of your show. Or you can listen to the interview that you and I did on the Art of Charm podcast where we talk about a lot of our tools reach out to other people who are going, the speakers, whatever, connect with them based on their personal interests is a great way to get in touch with somebody and get a response. And then make sure that you go up and you make that personal connection and try to do something like a side dinner or an escape room or mini golf is another one of my sort of secrets uh, that I like to do. And if you do that, you'll be able to make connections and it starts to get a lot easier because now I find myself accidentally meeting dozens of people every time because you meet these people and then they ask you to speak and then you're on stage and you've got status and you're going with the other speakers, et cetera. And you start to see some of the same people at the same conferences and you really do end up with just tons and tons of people in your network that then you can scale and introduce to each other. And that's a very powerful position to be in. Awesome. And where's the best place people can find you? Sure. So you're listening to a podcast right now. So I would say, look, just go as well to the Art of Charm podcast. You can go to theartofcharm.com. You can search for the Art of Charm or AOC is what comes up on the logo in uh, wherever you're listening to this and you'll find us. Awesome. Well, look, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us, Jordan. Awesome conversation, dude. Likewise, man. Thanks so much. Hey, guys, I hope you enjoyed this interview. As you might already know, our mission at Founder is to help tens of millions of people every single week with our content either start or grow their business. 
which is exactly why we're partnering with world-class founders such as Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Greta Van Riel, and so many more to teach crucial skills such as negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free exclusive trainings, please go to founder.com forward slash free. These are 100%. We go super in depth on teaching a particular topic, and I know that you're going to love them if you enjoy this podcast. So just go to founder.com forward slash free. All right, guys, I'll see you in the next episode.